0: I want to start with even more prayer. (laughs) Lord, I just ask you for forgiveness for my own disobedience. Lord, even this week, in between giving a message about obedience last week and a message about obedience this week, you've shown me very clearly that without you there is no obedience. You've shown me very clearly, Lord, that without you, without the grace of Jesus Christ, without what he did on the cross there is no obedience. And without obedience, there's no blessing. And so I just ask for your forgiveness before my brothers and sisters, Lord, and just acknowledge that uh, you are still doing this work in me. You showed me so clearly and so powerfully this week how far I fall short of your glory. I just ask that it wouldn't be uh, me falling short of your glory here, it would be your glory that would be released into your people today. And I to ask that in Jesus' name. Uh, this is a message that uh, has been burning. It didn't start out burning, but it began to burn very recently. Um, but it's been percolating, and and God has been birthing it uh, in me for about five years actually ever since I gave my life to Christ and surrendered to Christ. And uh, uh, I really think that it's an important message for the church, and I think it's really something that's on God's heart right now, uh, particularly because uh, there's some things happening in the world around us. I don't know if any of you have noticed that uh, we're in uncertain times not only in Kenya, but in the United States of America. You see, the United States of America, corporately, as a nation, you know we corporately have an identity as the United States of America, as much as sometimes we may like to distance ourselves from that identity. The truth is we have an identity, and a lot of it's based on who we are. And we don't like to see always parts of ourselves On a national level, uh, in the same way that we don't really like to see parts of ourselves personally. Um, And so, uh, but there's some things about our nation. We've had tremendous wealth, tremendous blessing. The brother brought it up as he prayed over here over the offering. And we've had it for a long time. Many of you in this room. Are not originally, were not birthed in this nation, but have come from other places. And so you know what this nation has, what it's been given, the legacy that it's been given for the last 200 years, the material blessing that it's had. Now, that is a blessing, but it comes with some curses too. And some of our curses, you know, when you're in Africa and you're in some of these other nations where the, where the church is, it looks like the first century church. Uh, and, you, and, and they have the power of God there. Um, the occult is very real. The demonic and the occult is very real in these nations. And it's right out in the open. I mean, it's witch doctor and, and missionary Or it's witch doctor and pastor and there there they are and there's an open conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness in cities and in villages and we see it played out on the news. Well, in our nation, those same battles are going on, but we're fighting against different strongholds in this nation. Against apathy, against comfort, against materialism. Things that don't have the face of devils but they're just as demonic and they keep us just as separated from the Lord. And those things are coming around, their time is coming around where the consequences of those strongholds are at the foundations of our nation, are cracking and falling apart. And our economy is, is being held together as far as I'm concerned by the grace of God right now. I say all these things to say that there is a time coming when the grace of God and the mercy of God are going to be revealed in our economy collapsing. Where it literally will take that in order for our nation to come back to the Lord. Where that will be the mercy of God. Because without it, we we will not be shaken from our sleep. And again, I'm saying all these things because for the last year and a half, my wife and I, Casey, and uh, many others who are in this room today who have been called by God, uh, we went out and and our commission is to, as you guys know, in this house, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Twin Cities. And so, when you're an evangelist, God likes to show you things that will keep people from the gospel. Things that stand between God and us that will keep them from receiving the word of the Lord. And there are many things that keep people separated from God. But one big one is pride. And if there's a nation on earth that is filled with more pride than the United States, I want someone to come up and tell me. We're known for it. American pride. What the world doesn't know is that that is not something we want to attach to our name or our nation. And so as a nation, we've separated ourselves from God with our self-sufficiency. I can hear angels sing. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Uh, There's another thing that separates people from Jesus. And this is one I'm not so happy about myself. And I don't think God's very happy about it either. And that is a church that looks like the world. We don't look any different. In fact, the statistics, Jesus said in his word that you'd know a tree by its fruit. Let me tell you a little bit about our fruit. Same divorce rate in the church as out of the church. How does that sound for fruit? Let's talk about some more fruit. Same level of depression. Same despair. Same oppression. Same hopelessness. Same sin. And so after we had spent a whole year and a half laboring to be as obedient as we thought we could by the grace of God to to bring the gospel to the Twin Cities, the Lord said, Stephen, Stephen, why do you want to bring more people into a sick church? <coughs> and when God asks a question, He knows the answer. So I said, "Well, I don't know, Lord. The Great Commission. I mean, we're—you made us evangelists. I mean, we're, I mean, aren't we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Going out and tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus?" I mean, and the thing is, in America, there's a lot of people who have heard about Jesus. They just haven't heard about the Jesus. The Jesus that wants everything. And the main reason they haven't heard about the real Jesus is because of the church. Because they look at the church and they say, well, if that's the real Jesus, then what, what, what is Jesus to me? Jesus doesn't seem like he's helping you that much. Why would I want to have anything that has to do with this Jesus? It's hard to hear the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you really would just continue to dig up and remove things in the way of us hearing this truth. The Lord is saying that the condition of our cities and the condition of our nation, and it's always been this way, is just a mirror image of the condition of the church. And so when we look at culture and we say, culture is getting bad, America's getting bad, it's really time to look in the mirror. And it gets worse. Or better, depending on how you're looking at it. When we look at our families, we look at our neighborhoods, and we look at our churches, our families and churches and neighborhoods are a reflection of us. And so we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, uh, this seems like a pretty big problem. Seems a little overwhelming, actually. What is what is the problem? And we haven't even gotten off the title slide. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> the problem is, is that my people perish for lack of understanding. Somewhere along the way, they've lost. What my gospel really is. They've adopted something that doesn't get in the way of their lives. They've received a gospel that doesn't ask them to do anything. They've eaten a gospel that doesn't result in any transformation, that doesn't result in any holiness. That's a false gospel. There's many of them. And they're all over the church in America. And so the Lord wants to communicate, first of all, to His church, what the gospel really is. So that we can all understand it. So that we can allow it to penetrate us so deeply that when the world begins to fall apart, and it will, and it is, that there will be followers of Christ who are so deep in God that when everyone around you begins to cry out and say, what is happening? What's happening to this great nation that everyone revered and was in awe of? Are they really? And they start losing their jobs in their homes. And for those of you who don't know, that starts in the church first. And maybe you know some believers who are losing their jobs in their homes. Because the shaking comes in the church first. Want to know why we've been getting shifted all over the place? Because God wants to get all the junk off of us so that He can fill us back up with fire and power and the gospel. Because it's not just about our own salvation as we're going to find out today. It's about the salvation of your parents and your brothers and sisters and your aunts and uncles and your grandparents. You don't think they're on God's heart. They're on God's heart, but if you're not in a place where you're actually walking in the power of God, how are you going to reach them with the gospel? If the gospel hasn't even gripped you... How is it going to grip somebody who doesn't, hasn't even known the, the, the joy of being in God's presence? Who doesn't even know that God is real? Who looks around at every Christian they know and says, where's Jesus? So, this is what's on God's heart this morning. And we're going to find out where we went wrong. I think God's gonna show us. May you the know, Lord have mercy. This is probably the most well known scripture in America. There we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen. It's on grocery bags. It's at football games, it's on bumper stickers, it's everywhere. Anybody heard of this? Okay. Now, <laughs> believing. That's that's the big word in this scripture is believe. Believe. What does it mean to believe? Let's find out what the world says. By the way, if the world says something, <clears throat> be careful. It may not be right. <laughs> <laughs> to consider to be true. Hmm. And I think Chin, we have a. I think we got the wrong PowerPoint in here. Is it the right one? The same one? Okay. Uh, is it the one you got off the? It was on the desktop. There should be one on the desktop. Is this the one you guys got off the desktop? Yeah? Sorry, you guys. We'll get right back into this. On the desktop, there's a PowerPoint. Right on the desktop. It shouldn't be the... Yeah, let's pull that one up. Webster's Online Dictionary says... Uh, that believing means to agree that it's true, to agree that the statement is true. Okay. So according to Webster's dictionary, when you combine Webster's dictionary of believing in the John 3:16 scripture, essentially, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you agree that that statement is true, you'll have eternal life. Does that sound familiar? If you agree with that statement. In fact, we have a uh, wonderful, thank you, to consider to be true. Um, okay, I've heard that gospel before. <laughs> In fact, I've seen people pray countless prayers around that scripture and that understanding of the gospel. And, and, and people have proclaimed over them with the authority of men <laughs> that you are saved from now and forevermore. Right? Sound good? Sounds good? Okay. What's really important though is what does God mean when he says believe? What does God mean when he says believe? Let's take a look at this scripture. This is 20 verses after the first one that we saw, out of John 3:36. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Sounds just like the one we just read, right? But wait a minute. What's the next scripture? anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. Do you see what just happened? All of a sudden, the scriptures go from believing to not obeying. If you do not obey Jesus, you will not inherit eternal life. Is that starting to to let us know what God means when he says believing? You see, the crazy part in all this is that the first century church If we would have given them an American understanding of what the gospel was, they would have said, what? How could it be possible that you could think that what God was doing was giving up his son so that all you have to do is agree that he's his son and say yes to a few spiritual principles and forever you're going to be in the presence of the Lord? How could it be that nothing? Nothing. now we see and this isn't the only scripture that what God really means and what the early church understood to the core of their being is that if you believed that he did what he did and you believed he was the son of God that you would obey that you would live your life in obedience to that same God that had mercy on your soul and gave you the opportunity to obey him again because that's where we were in the garden beloved and then we fell and we lost the opportunity to obey and Jesus came so that we would get that gift back because it's a gift believe me god doesn't god it doesn't do god one thing that you obey it doesn't add one thing to who he is it's you it's all of us that we get blessed by it. We think of obedience as some, oh, I'm doing God a favor again. I'm going to go serve and be, you know, do hospitality. Oh, God, am I doing good? Are you happy now? Are you happy now? You see what I'm doing for you? Do you see what I'm suffering down here? A hangnail for you? No, no, no. It's a gift from God to us, from Jesus to us. And so how often do we take that gift and throw it on the ground? And step on it and trample it, not even by direct disobedience. I'm not even talking about that. Because, you know, there's many other forms of disobedience. If you're not listening, you can't hear. And if you can't hear, you can't obey. This isn't the only scripture. Look at a scripture out of Hebrews. It says, And who was it that rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Talking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. Look familiar again. Linking unbelief with disobedience. Belief is beginning to look like a synonym to obedience. Isn't it? According to God. Hmm. That's not all. In James... I believe at least one application of this scripture as soon as it comes up. Whoops, we're going to go by these. This is out of James and I believe one prophetic application of this scripture uh, is speaking to those would-be theologians. They did prophetically anticipate this. And so throughout the scriptures, they they come back to us with this message. And remember, it's a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. If you want to come up with clever theologies about grace that that lead you to a place where you don't have to do anything and and just Jesus did it all on the cross and and God's not requiring anything of us, then you can get yourself there. In fact, there's scriptures you can get there. You can get there if you want to get there, but don't fool yourself if you think it's not about obedience. Don't fool yourself. And here, this one just nails it. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. End of debate. End of debate. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And so you see, beloved. There's a whole lot of things we can do that look like the will of the Father. Can't we? We can go to church. We can go to Bible studies. We can say hallelujah louder than everybody else. We can say Jesus is Lord to everybody that we meet. But that's not gonna. That's not gonna do it. It's not about looking like the marketing version of a Christian on that day, because there are these eyes in the Book of Revelation. It says they're they're, they're 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 flames. They're on fire. They penetrate the human soul. They they you'll be flambayed out before the entire universe. Your entire life and everything that is fake and false. And chaff of from your life will be burned away. You'll be naked before the host of heaven and God, barren. And all the marketing. And it makes sense because it's American Christianity. So we're big on marketing and not big on substance. We'll be burned away. And the only thing that the only question that will be asked is did you actually do the will of my Father in heaven? Let's look together, shall we? Let's review your life. There's plenty of time. There's no shortage of time. So if you think, well, that would create too much of a line, you know, the lines would get backed up. No. No, plenty of time, outside of time. That day is coming for all of us. So what God is looking for is belief that results in obedience. Is belief that results in obedience. Now, there's some good news because as I prayed earlier on and as God has made me painfully aware this week, um, there is no obedience without grace. The kind of obedience God is looking for we don't have within ourselves. It's not possible. In fact, that's what grace is for. That's its intended purpose. Was to give us an empowerment to do the kinds of things that God was going to ask us to do that within ourselves we have no power or ability to do. Which is pretty much, if you start walking down the road of obedience, it will not take you long before you hit some things that you cannot do in your own power. And eventually, it'll pretty much be everything. When you, when you really start getting into kingdom reality and letting it hit you and consume you and, 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 and burn everything off of you. You know, throughout the scriptures, Jesus is continually pointed to as our example. He came to say... I am the way. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, I am the way, not only am I the gate, but I'm the way. Look at my life, and my spirit will minister to you and tell you how to live yours and give you the power and the grace to do as I did. He his whole life when you look at his life, it looked like a picture book of obedience. That's all he did. That's the only thing he did. If he did one thing, he obeyed the Father. In everything he did and said, this is out of John 5 19. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Jesus can do nothing by himself. Then who are you? Who am I? I'm going to do something by myself? Well, obviously they didn't know that I, you know, I was coming, because I'm going to do some things by myself. <laughs> he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like obedience to me. I don't speak. Are we living in that kind of obedience? I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me gave me his own instructions as to what I should say. And I know his instructions lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Do you know a scripture that says we'll be judged for every idle word that comes from our mouths? Hmm. I wonder what an idle word is a word that we speak without consulting the Lord? Could he be asking this kind of obedience? Could he have the audacity to ask us to do this kind of obedience? Who does he think he is, God? He is In prayer, Jesus said, Pray like this Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you think his will is done on earth? We hear what he says and we do it, he does it through his people. He doesn't just spontaneously do something over here in the vapor and the mist and no one sees it. He releases his kingdom. The kingdom of God is released through our obedience. Not in the big things. The first thing you're going to be asked is not to sell everything you own. It may be coming. I don't know. It's going to be a little thing. I want you to go and apologize to this person. But Lord, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That's not what I asked you to do. I said, I want you to go and apologize so that they can see me. But the greatest act of obedience, (laughs) the act of obedience that makes all of our obedience just pale in comparison, is the cross. And none of us can even replicate it because we can't be where he was to come down and humble himself as far as he humbled himself. We can't even do that. And none of us can obey it unless this takes place because it takes the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come until this had taken place, until there was an atonement for our disobedience. Remember, this is the act of Jesus that lets us have fellowship with God. He did this so that we could be brought back into God's presence so that we could hear Him again and obey. That was the whole point of the cross. He gave it back to us. And we want to turn it into three or four spiritual laws that we agree to and everybody claps and we... We're like, praise the Lord. Wow, the cross. My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. See the difference between Jesus and most of us is Jesus was constantly talking to the Father. And even more than that, he was constantly listening. If you never spend time listening to God or you don't want to know the truth, you'll never hear it. It's the built-in consequence of your desire to not see yourself the way you are. If you don't want to know the truth, it will be hidden from you forever. But the truth will still be used to measure you. So it's up to you. It's up to you. You can live the rest of your life in the marketing version of Christianity. And again, I'm not saying that we all are. I mean, we all are, (laughs) to some degree or another. I mean, not all of us are in overt, total disobedience. But I'm telling you the truth. This has been a message that's been burning in my heart for five years. And this last week, God showed me how disobedient I was. It was profound. It was profound. So, the interesting thing is, God hasn't changed. It's always been about obedience. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me, he's talking to Abraham. And have not withheld even your beloved son. This is after God asked him. I I would say in a pretty obedient act, Abraham went to the top of a mountain and was raising a knife to kill his son. The angel of the Lord said, Stop! I see your heart. You have an obedient heart. I haven't asked you to take your son's life. I'm testing your heart. And God's testing our hearts all day long, every day. Are we willing to, to live this life of obedience? And this is what he says to him. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your beloved son, I swear by my own self that I will bless you richly. I'll multiply your descendants into countless millions like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. They'll conquer their enemies and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. You see, the covenant hasn't changed. It's just been made more possible because of what Christ has done. It's been made possible for you and me. We don't have to be Abraham. Although Abraham was walking in this kind of fellowship that we have the blessing of. We have access to God. If you've given your life, really surrendered your life, you have access to God. But you've got to decide that you're going to use that. What kind of obedience is he looking for? Um... I want to ask you a question. If you memorize everything in this book and you do everything that it says, that you follow every rule, every condition, even of the Old Testament, will you be saved? There was one group of people that Jesus got really upset about. He said, watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They knew the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. And we love the scriptures. The Bible says that in the beginning, somehow supernaturally, Jesus is is this. But yet there's something more. He says it again here. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! Hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Do you think if you ask nine out of ten pagans about the American church, if they would say that we're hypocrites? How many do you think would say, yeah, I think they're hypocrites? We're starting to look a lot like Pharisees, aren't we? where we have a form of godliness, a veneer of godliness. And yet on the inside, there's dead people's bones. Why? Because the dead people's bones only come out. They only get uprooted by the Spirit of God and by obedience to the Spirit of God, which always lines up with the Word. But is in and of itself life for us. Jesus talked about this prophetically when he was being tempted in the wilderness. He said, "Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." Our standard's actually higher than that, because we're supposed to be listening to every word that comes out of God's mouth and obeying it. Not just when we got our Bibles on us. It shouldn't take a Bible to get you to be, to, to to obey God. Here he says, when the spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus telling us about, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. The Holy Spirit is listening to Jesus and the Father and then speaking into your spirit. He's not giving you just random instructions. They're coming from God. But if your life is a place that is not conducive or create an atmosphere that is friendly for the Holy Spirit then you will hear nothing. So you can have a spiritual experience with God and then begin to live your life the same way that you used to. And all of a sudden, the reality of the kingdom is nowhere to be found. And the last time you got a word from God was the day that you found out Jesus was Lord. So you're nodding up and down going, Jesus is Lord, yeah. Yeah, man. Galatians 5.25, Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Just the big stuff. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading when we have big decisions like buying a house, getting married, stuff like that. Should we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when when, when we're at church? But then in between Sunday to Sunday, we're kind of we're on our own. doesn't look like that's what God's asking us. It looks like what he's asking us is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So, beloved, which gospel are we living? Which gospel are we living? It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life. But even more importantly than your own eternal life, and you say, more important than my own eternal life? What could be more important than my own eternal life? How about the eternal life of your extended family that doesn't know Jesus? How about the eternal life of your neighbors? How about the eternal life of those that are in your workplace? How about their eternal life? You think if you don't live the gospel you think if you don't live the gospel of obedience that somehow God's just gonna take care of them? Well, what about if you're the person that He sent? But you're not listening. And he says, I want you to go over to that person there, there, there. and you can't get a word of knowledge because you haven't even cultivated any kind of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And you're sitting in your cubicle busying yourself away and burning away your life. And there's people all around you that don't know God that are dying. Do you really think that we have no responsibility? I don't think so. And so the stakes are very high. The stakes are higher than our own salvation. The stakes are so high. I'm telling you, beloved, a time is coming. And God is calling to his church right now. He's calling to you right now. He's saying, come up here. Now that you know that this is the life I'm calling you to, then I need you to take those, that first step to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I hear that this is the gospel. Yes, Lord, I see areas of my life where the gospel has not even penetrated me. And yes, Lord, I see people who are unsaved around me. And now I know that it's not you that I'm waiting on and getting so frustrated, God, that you're not saving that person. It's actually me that you're waiting on to begin to receive instructions as to how that person's going to come into salvation and how you should be praying so that they get a revelation of Jesus. But you see, if we can't hear, we can't do. And so this process starts just by acknowledging that this gospel is not a gospel that we've been fully living. And saying, God, uh, maybe you have to even go back a step and say, God, I don't have the power to obey you, but I don't even have a desire to obey you right now because I'm afraid what you might ask me. But you see, what God is trying to do is just get us to a point where we realize that even our motives and our desires to obey, ultimately, if they're going to be right ones, come from Him. And so if you gotta go back and go a little deeper than just God help me obey, God help me make my heart right, give me a desire to obey, give me a revelation that there is I can't I can't stand in the covenant blessings of God until I am in this place. Because it's a covenant. It's two ways. God does everything and all we do is obey. And again, it's not our ability to obey in our own power that God is looking for. It's our willingness to obey. Then he provides the power. We are... uh, There's an 11-week LEDTS that's starting tonight, and there are many very good LEDTSs, and so you need to go where God's leading you to go. But in that 11-week LEDTS, we're going to talk about how to do this from a practical standpoint. How do you walk this out, this gospel of obedience? How do you get your life in a place where you can hear from the Lord and hear the Holy Spirit consistently? And if there's one thing I can think of that is the, the most I mean core thing that we need to figure out as believers, it's how to hear get our instructions from our commander. Because unless we're able to hear his instructions and stand on the words that we're getting from the Holy Spirit, we will not stand in the days to come. And even more importantly, we will not be used of God to reach out to all those who are totally lost and flailing around. And I'm talking about people in the church who are like, what's going on? Man, I believe Jesus is Lord, and it's just my life's falling apart. Uh, yeah. Yep. That sounds right. Because now you got to lean on the power of God. So if God is leading you to 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 take this next step, I'd encourage you. That's a great next step. But for here today, what I want to do is just go to the Lord corporately in prayer. We don't need to do an altar call. God can see you right where you are. If you feel the need to come up and get prayer up at the altar, or you want to have a conversation with God, uh, that's fine. The, the altar's open, and I want to have the worship team come up right now.